good for one of our young people to write that herself and uh, to perform that. That's uh, a real blessing. Appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. And uh, I wonder if you'd turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 with me. Uh, we're going to have a look at something here that the Lord's just, I guess, challenged me about. And I just want to share with you. And I hope that's, that's going to be a help and a blessing to us as a church. Uh, so Mark chapter 10. I won't read anything there just yet, but just to get that ready. And uh, I might just start with a word of prayer and just commit this time to the Lord. So if you'll just bow your heads with me or just say a word of prayer and then we'll have a look at something here. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again that you are a good God. And uh, we come to you tonight and acknowledge that you are God, that we aren't Lord and that we need you. And uh, Father, I know that uh, I need you right now. I need you to help me to... Say the things you want me to say, Lord, and to share the things you've laid on my heart. And I just pray that this time together in your word would be profitable, would be fruitful uh, for each individual that hears this, Lord. I pray you continue to shape us and conform us to your image uh, through the truths that we find in your word, Lord. I uh, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together as a church uh, this morning and once again now. And uh, we thank you for building this body. Thank you for placing each one here, and I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would be pleased with what takes place tonight. Uh, we thank you for keeping us safe and helping us, and we ask that your blessing would be upon your word now. And we thank you and we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it might seem a bit funny to share this story, but last week I was um, driving along the road and I saw a, a sign on, on the inside of a bus stop, and it had a picture of a pig, and it said something like, uh, love me, don't eat me. And I thought, what is that? And then I saw another one uh, yesterday on the back of a taxi and it was a picture of a, a chicken or a hen or something like that and it said, um, uh, her life, as in the chicken's life, your choice, ban cage farms. And I was just struck by these things thinking, wow, there's a lot of push for, you know, let's, let's, let's do all we can to save uh, the animals and, and do a lot for the animals. And... When I saw those things, really, the whole idea is that they're confronting you with a choice. Like, what are you going to do about this? And to me, it was a pretty easy choice because I believe that God's given man dominion over the animals and I believe that bacon tastes good with everything. So I was like, ah, I don't have to worry about, you know, spending my time, effort, energy, money uh, on, on going down that path. Uh, but I could be led that way, and a lot of people are led that way, uh, led to, to take their time in, in doing a lot of these things, achieving things uh, that maybe aren't the main thing. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. Um, and if I wanted to, I could spend my time uh, differently and investigate what I can do for the pigs and what I can do for the chickens uh, of the world or of Australia and how I can better their circumstance. And that would probably uh, make a lot of people happy, probably make some animals happy in some sense, I guess, uh, regardless of whether they know about that or not. Um, but I could spend my time doing that and I could say, hey, I, I have achieved a lot of things. And I put a lot of associations like RSPCA and Animal Welfare Society and all those things. I could say, well, I've done this and, and I've made a lot of people happy and I've pleased a lot of people with doing this. But the question we have to come back to is, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this really what I'm supposed to be investing in? Um, so that, that's really probably not a hard choice for you either, uh, I would say for most of you, like, yeah, okay, that's, that's probably not what God's put me on this planet to do. Um, but I wonder, 
about when you're already involved in the things of what God's shown you to do, some biblical things, some good things, uh, when you're already doing that, and I'm sure most of you are already trying to do what God's already given you to do, I wonder when you're faced with with something else or presented with an option or an opportunity, uh, how you respond to that. Because you might be focused on, on doing what God's got you to do and you're, you're continuing in that and you're, you're achieving things or you're putting time and effort into it. But then somewhere along the way, you might be impressed to think about this other thing, this other area of ministry or this, this person you can invest in. Um, and you, you'll, be, you'll be at that crossroads of, okay, I have a choice here. Do I just continue in, continue in what I've already been told or do I like add this extra thing that God's shown me or I've seen or, or whatever it is I have a burden about? Do I add that to what I'm already doing and therefore I'm doing both of these things? Or do I, do I give up this thing that's good uh, for this other thing that I believe is good? And we come to that decision-making time and I wonder how you make that decision. Because I know that I don't always get it right. Um, and this is just something the Lord's just kind of impressed upon my heart is how do you make that decision between this thing I know is good, this thing I know is good, uh, which one do I choose, do I combine them, like how do I handle that? Um, So that's what the Lord's put on my heart and uh, we might find ourselves thinking that if we achieve more things and maybe please more people, we're doing a better work. But that may not necessarily be so because we're not here to please people as such, we're here to please God. And I think once, when, we go, when we go about doing things in the Christian life, maybe instead of asking, and you may not ask this, but if you have, you might, you might have asked, what am I achieving? Instead of asking that, it might be a better question to ask, who am I pleasing? Who am I pleasing? Because that's what makes a difference. That's what's going to help you choose between this, that, how, what you do with that, what you do with uh, opportunities presented before you. So I won't get you to turn there, but in John 8, 29... Uh, and you know this, Jesus says that, he, that I do always those things that please him, talking of the Father. So Jesus, his focus was always on what does God want me to do? What has he sent me to do? What's my purpose? And he was always focused on that. So he, he didn't get distracted by the, the pigs and the chickens of the world. He knew what his, his focus was. It was to please the Father. And I'm sure, just like me, you probably find that hard sometimes to maintain that focus. Um, So I want to go through a few examples of here of how we can set our focus right, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Now, Jesus did a whole lot of things that we would say are good, that the Bible says is good. Um, And if any of us did what he did, we'd be like, man, there's a good person there. Um, But we could also argue that Jesus could have done more. He could have done more. He could have every day gone out and fed all the, all the hungry people. He could have gone out and, and did what he did with feeding the 5,000. He could have done that every day with every single person that he came across and go, here's some lunch for you. So he could have technically done more, but he actually did what was important first and foremost. He pleased the Father. And sometimes that outworked in feeding, feeding the hungry. Sometimes it outworked in you know, healing somebody. And often it outworked in leading people to himself and and, and to God the Father. So it's not necessarily about how much we do or how much we achieve. It's about who we please. And that's what Jesus' focus was. So really I want to look at tonight 
acknowledging and perhaps identifying the difference between what is good and what is best. That's really my main thought, and that's kind of my title of the message, Good Versus Best. What's good and what's best? Uh, Proverbs 16.2 shows us really what our ways are like, uh, mankind. It says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. And sometimes, or probably more often most times, if we're left to ourselves, we kind of get an incorrect uh, weighing and a balance of things of uh, whether this is good or what God wants, because we're a lot about self a lot of the times, and we get a little bit consumed with ourselves and how things make us feel, and, and we often go with sights and feelings and emotions, and we can get things a little bit out of whack, and then all of a sudden we can find ourselves caring about the pig rather than caring about the lost soul. Um, so we can often lean to our own understanding and do what we think is good. And sometimes when we do or we focus on what we think is good, though it may be biblical and, and God says it's a good thing, sometimes we can be a little bit concerned with uh, pleasing ourselves or pleasing the people that are around us. It might be family or even a ministry that you're involved in and that ends up being your focus rather than, okay, how does God want me to to deal with all this? How does God want me to minister here or or talk to that family member or whatever it is? Um, So doing what we think can obviously please us, but doing what's best, like Jesus, will always please the Father. If we get his mind and his heart on a thing and we please him, then that's number one. And he can work everything out through those channels if we're first and foremost looking to please him. So I found this and even just recently, that doing what's best may even require giving up something that you're currently doing that you would say it's a good thing, or it might also, may not necessarily get you to give it up, but maybe just step back a little bit, take your hands off a little bit and ask God, what do you want here? Because I was doing this, but maybe the best thing is just to step back and get a bigger picture of how you want me to do that. And he might just show you a little bit differently, something a little bit different about what you're doing. Maybe he wants you to approach it from a different angle. Maybe he wants you to pray differently about that person or that ministry. Um, And so sometimes doing what best just causes you to step back a little bit and get God's heart and God's mind on a matter. And I'm not talking about... I'm talking about doing what's best, not being the best. Because this isn't a competition. The Christian life is not a competition. It's not me versus you. And it's not even me versus me. It's not a competition with myself to see how much good I can do. It's how much can I please the Father with the time that he's given me on earth. And sometimes, like Paul said on on Wednesday night, uh, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves with other people. That's the Bible says that's not wise. So it's not a competition with how much we're doing, how how many areas we're serving in or how many people we're we're trying to minister to at any given time. It's about what does God want me to do because he can work all that out after that. Doing what's what's good is usually based on our values, our interests and our abilities because that's usually naturally what we're concerned with, what I'm interested in, what do I like. Oh, I like animals. Yeah, I'll care for the pigs. Like, but doing what's best has never been reliant upon your abilities. God never says, okay, I can only use people that have great ability. 
He doesn't say that. So doing what's best doesn't necessarily matter what resources you have, what abilities you have, because God will equip you for whatever he wants you to do because he knows he can get pleasure out of using you in this thing and he can give you what you need to achieve that, that task or that goal. So with that in mind, I'd like to look at a few instances of, in the scripture of good versus best and people that were, I guess, confronted usually by Jesus um, with this idea of choosing between two things sometimes. Hopefully it'll help us choose what's best as we're faced with these choices. So uh, in Mark chapter 10, just the story here, very familiar of uh, the rich young ruler starting in verse 17. And it says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That's a good question, isn't it? That's good to ask that thing. Good to come to Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. And he says, You know these things. You don't, you don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal. And then keep going down and he says, And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. So this guy says, I've done all these good things. I'm asking you, what do I do for eternal life? But I'm also letting you know, I've done a whole lot of good and I'm doing a whole lot of good and that's good. And we'd say, that's good. But Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. One thing, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Now that word sad, really it means like covered with cloud overhead, like dark stormy cloud basically. And sometimes that's how we can feel where we think we're doing something really good and then God says, Ah, but you're lacking something. I thought I was doing really well. And that's what this guy came across. And and Jesus said, that one thing, you need to go and sell what you've got and you need to come and follow me. And I would say this, if you're taking any notes, that the rich young ruler let comforts get in his way. So he was saying I was doing these good things, but the thing that hindered him from doing the best thing, which was salvation, was the comforts that he had. And he was choosing those over Jesus Christ, over salvation, over the comfort of eternal life. So that's something that we, even as Christians, can fall into. See, we might think this story, well, it's only relevant to the unsaved because he was unsaved and he didn't want, you know, what Jesus had to offer. But if you're anything like me, you're pretty good, uh, you're pretty good at convincing yourself and trying to convince God that I'm already doing a lot of good, so do I really need to make this extra sacrifice? I don't know if you ever do that, if you're like your own lawyer and you're defending yourself, like, hey, I've done this and this and this and this, God, um, do I really need to do this extra thing? Now, I know this, this guy didn't have salvation, but we as Christians can say, well, I've done all this good stuff, do I need to, like, sacrifice that time to help that person? Can't you see all this good stuff I've got backed up here? And, and, and maybe it's money, maybe it's time that is our comfort, but we don't want to give it up because we're thinking that we're all good and we've done enough good. Well, this guy was kind of in this same, same situation. And we can say things like, surely I can be a living testimony of God's grace and God's goodness. Um, I can walk around and, and be a good witness to my family that are unsaved. Um, but God, do you really need to take away, or do you really want me to give up that time, that money, to put to that thing when I can like, 
to show everyone that God, you, you're a blessing God, you're a good God that gives us lots of good things. Well, often God will use these things and, and strip things away or ask us to, to put things to the side to reveal what's really there. That's how God often works. And uh, maybe for a time we can live our life uh, showing prosperity that God gives, and he does, uh, but it's going to come to a point where he wants to see us rely on him, not just the comforts that we have. And that's what he wanted to see in this rich young ruler is, are you relying on me or are you relying on the great possessions that you have? And we can be, the, we can be in the same spot as Christians. So what's good often becomes best in God's eyes when it's purified and, so, and often through sacrifice because he wants to see where your heart is at. So choosing between what's good and what's best can often be God's putting, asking you to sacrifice or give up some things. Take your hand off a little bit and, okay, you can have that, Lord. I don't need that right now because I'm, I'm trying to rely on you. So that's, that's one thing, is letting comforts get in the way. Uh, next thing, if you can just turn to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, these are all familiar stories, but ones that I just believe the Lord just would have us look at. Genesis chapter 4, story of Cain and Abel and uh, their offerings that they brought before the Lord. Genesis 4, starting in verse 3, it says, And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. Now if we didn't know anything else, we'd be like, oh, they both brought something before the Lord, that's good. That, that they'll bring something to God and they were giving something up to God. We would just think that's a good thing. Keep going. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, not just good, but well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And I'll put this point to you that Cain relied on his resources, what he'd worked for, what he was good at, uh, maybe even what the Lord had blessed him with. Uh, so when it came to doing what's good, he said, well, I've got this good thing that, that I've got. That I'm able to till the ground, I'm able to grow these things and I'm able to uh, provide sustainability and all these things. And I think he just relied a little bit on his resources and not on what God actually asked for. Because there was a difference there between Cain and Abel's offering. And obviously, Abel had the understanding of what God had asked for. And Cain chose not to accept that. Cain chose to give something else. Now, I'd say that no doubt Cain was pretty pleased with what he was able to achieve, with what he was able to grow, and no doubt maybe even provide for other people and, and be an example of, of how to do this. I'm, I'm sure he was pretty happy with that. But... Let's, let's look at ourselves for a moment. Just because you're good at something and you have the resources there, it doesn't mean that that's what God's asking of you. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily asking you to use those resources that you're so familiar with using. He might be asking for something totally different, just like he was here. Now, I'm sure God didn't keep it hidden from, from Cain what he expected in his offering. I'm pretty sure God would have been explicit in this is what I expect. So I don't think there was any actual confusion of what he ought to have brought to God. 
I think that Cain just relied on what he had, thought that was good, and presented that to the Lord. Now, your resources may be a blessing and a help and maybe even the solution to a lot of problems nine times out of ten that maybe even God brings before you. But you better make sure that you're listening to what he's actually asked for and not just assuming that what you've done before is enough to give what God wants right now. Because I think that's what Cain fell into, is assuming that, well, I've got this, maybe even I acknowledge that it's from the Lord, he'll be happy with that. But he didn't ask for that. So sometimes we can say, well, this is a good thing, but did God say it's the best thing? That's the question to ask. And I know I'm just throwing all these things out, but you may have, you may have a little bit of this in your life with something that, that's come up. may not be all of these things, but just maybe one of these things, you just go, hmm, that's a little bit like me. Sometimes I assume what God wants, or I assume I know what God wants. But he's asking for us to, to, to turn our ear to him and to listen to what he's actually saying, find out in his word what does he expect uh, so we don't just go off what we've already done but actually find out what he wants right now. So just like Cain, you won't do what's best if you're not inclining your ear to God and learning him. That's what we do when we read this. We, we learn who God is. We learn what he expects. We, we learn what he, what he wants, what pleases him. And that's what Jesus did. He said, I'm going to focus on what pleases him. Even though I can walk around and do all these miracles every single day of the life of my life on earth, but I'm going to focus first and foremost on what pleases God. So that's Cain and Abel. So he relied on his resources. Uh, next one, if you just flick over to where we had our reading, John chapter 12. I won't read it all there because we've already read it. John chapter 12, obviously the story where Mary anoints Jesus and uh, she took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. And... Notice how Judas had a problem with this. And it says that, he said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And the Bible's pretty clear. It said he didn't actually care about the poor. He was a thief. He just cared about what he wanted to take place and what he wanted to do. And I think he had a problem with with Jesus' approach, Jesus' program, uh, what Jesus wanted to do. Uh, I think we see that a little bit in the life of Judas. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, just leave her alone because you've always got the poor with you. If, if, if you think that that's a really good thing to do, that's good. But right now, it's about glorifying me. You don't always have me. And we don't always have, and pastors said it a lot of times, in this life, we don't always have the element, after this life, we don't have the element of faith anymore. So it's good for us to do as much as we can through faith. Well, I think right there Jesus is saying, while you have me, focus on me a little bit. Because you can, you can minister to the poor pretty much any other time. But let's take, let's take note of what's important right now. And, she, and Mary's doing this really good thing. So even though we would say, uh, you know, Judas was a thief and we could say a whole, whole lot of things about Judas... We can probably identify some attitudes that we can have sometimes. Like, oh, I thought God was going to do this, but my plan was like this, and that doesn't sit well with me. And that's what I I think about Judas is he was concerned with his own program or what suited suited him. But uh, 
God has a prerogative to pretty much place importance or priority on certain things at a certain time. He's allowed to do that. And praise the Lord, he does do that because when he does it, it's always good. So he can say, just let's, let's not worry so much about the poor right now. Let's, let's just focus a little bit on, on what Mary's doing. That's the most important thing. And we know Jesus cared for the poor and the weak, but really that's not license for indignation against his current workings. Uh, just because we say, hey, yeah, I thought God liked this. Why is, he, why is he turning over here right now? Well, we can say the th- same thing about, well, I thought God was working with Israel, but now he's working with the Gentiles right now. I don't think we're too uh, upset about that. I think we're pretty pleased that he's, he's turned his attention to the Gentiles for now because now we have salvation. Um, so, so we've got to be careful that uh, we don't look at God's plan and our plan and go, oh, they don't mix, God must be wrong. I'm doing this good thing that I found that God wanted and now I'm seeing it a little bit different. Uh, I don't, that doesn't sit right with me. Well, we're supposed to change according to what God wants. We're supposed to humble ourselves and go, oh, okay, maybe that's the important thing right now. Maybe I don't have to put too much time and energy into this, but God's turning my, my attention over here. Okay, I submit to that. And I know it's easy to say that. Um, it's harder to do it. But these are just some things that I think the Lord's just showing me, has shown me, um, to help do what's best, not just do what's good. So we've got to remember that his ways are higher than our ways and it's good for us to rest in that. Once again, easy to say, a bit harder to do. Uh, Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Another familiar story, Mary and Martha. And verse 38, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, many sermons have been preached on Mary and Martha and and Martha's worrying about serving and all these things. But the point I want to bring out tonight is that Martha probably relied on her ability, maybe her giftings, uh, as she came to that point of what's good and what's best, I think she may have relied on the fact that she may have been really good at serving. She may have been a really good host um, and relied on that and said, well, this is, this is the thing that I have to do and this is what I've got to keep doing. But Jesus said there's actually one thing that's needful right now and it wasn't serving the tables. <laughs> at other times it might be. That might be what's needed. But, but she probably relied on her ability uh, a little bit too much and... I guess I'm, I'm one of the, the first people to advocate using your gifts and talents for the Lord and doing what you can for him to serve him, do what's good for him. Um, and if God has given you a gift, if you're saved, he has, then he wants you to use it. But your gift is not your walk with the Lord. Your gift is not your walk with the Lord. And I've run into this many times, just assuming that because God's given me this thing that, okay, I'm all good but I'm not, and neither are you. If, if, if you're thinking that your gift is your walk, it's not. 
Your walk with the Lord opens doors to use your gift, not the other way around. So if you're just getting busy doing and being obedient and loving him and trying to please him, then he will open up a door. Oh, now I can use that thing he's given me. Not, I just got to use my gift, my gift, my gift, my gift. And then who knows what can happen after that. You can, you can start acting like Martha did in front of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're aware that serving a lot and using your gifts can bring about weariness. Um, we just had our conference, many people serving, many people using their gifts and their talents, and you can get weary. And weariness can, can sometimes bring about crankiness and crankiness, frustration, and, Lord, why aren't you getting her to help me? can turn into that. And... Uh, I think Jesus' response really is, serving is good, Martha, but right now the best thing for you and for your serving and for the gifts that I've given you is that you do what Mary's doing and choose the best part, the part of sitting at my feet and listening to my word. Because if we get those things out of the, in the wrong order, then we're probably not going to be doing a very good job of ministering. So Martha probably thought she was doing really good because of how much serving she was doing. But Jesus just kindly pointed out to um, just put that to the side for a second and just sit and listen to my word. And I, I can get like this. Get busy, busy, busy. You've got to do, do, do. And Pastor said it a lot of the time. We need to just spend some time with him, just be with him. And from being with him, then he can show us how he wants us to serve him. And, uh, and Martha needed to do that. So... I guess a blockage of doing what's best can be that we rely on our abilities or rely on our giftings, though they even be from God. And the last one I want to show you tonight is in Revelation chapter 2. If you turn there with me, Revelation chapter 2. And it's the... uh, It's Jesus talking to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And um, he had some things to say, some, some observations about them and about their service, about the things that they were doing. And uh, if it, in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What did he identify? He said this, verse 2, I know thy works. And what's thy works? Well, it's what you do. He's identified, I can see what you're doing. I know what you're doing. And thy labour, well, what you put into what you do. It's not just the fact of what you do, but even how you do it and how you go about it, what you, what you give to it. I know thy labour and thy patience. I look up that word patience there, and, and this is what it says. It says steadfastness, constancy, endurance, unswerved from a deliberate purpose despite trials and suffering. That sounds pretty good. I'd like someone to say that about me. You are, you are patient in, in this regard, that, that you, are, you are established, you are unswerved from when things just come your way, you're just, you're there. I'd love someone to say that about me. So we could say, this is good, they're doing good works, God sees their labour, their patience, uh, how that you, you, don't, you can't bear them that are evil, all these things. And uh, verse 4, he says, nevertheless... That's like one thing thou lackest, rich young ruler. That's like Mary, one thing is needful. 
So you, you, you've got all these good things, you're doing all these good things, but maybe it's not the best. Maybe there's something that you need to focus on a little bit more. One thing is needful. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And that's it right there. We can, we can make all the arguments and all the excuses we want about, I'm doing this, I'm good here, I'm fine, I'm doing the work of the Lord. But if we've left our first love, then what is all of this based on? And who is all of this for? And am I pleasing the Father? Because if I've left my first love, left, I looked up that word left, and it says to leave one by not taking him as a companion. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to have God, we're supposed to have Jesus, we're supposed to have his heart and his mind with us in what we do, in everything we say, in how we think, in how we approach ministry, uh, in how we minister to people. It's supposed to be our companion. We're supposed to be like this. But if we've left him, then we've kind of just forgotten about him for a little bit, and, but we're continuing on doing what we're doing, and all of a sudden, oh, <laughs> I've kind of left my first love a bit. So, so what, am I, what am I actually doing? What am I basing all this on? Who am I doing all this for? And first love, left your first love. Well, the principal thing, the, the, the thing that should be number one, our love for the Lord. And when you got saved, I don't know what it was like when you got saved, but when I got saved and started coming to this church, the Lord really impressed on me, I just want you to do what, whatever I want you to do. And I remember being at this altar in 2009 and just going, I don't know what it is, Lord, but just, just use me. That was my first love. That was, that was where it all really started for me, is I just want God to use me to do what he wants me to do. And I, and I can say along those years, there's been times where I've re- turned around and realised, oh, I, I've kind of, I've, I've, I've left my first love a bit and I'm just busy in, you know, this mode of just doing, 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 doing. And, I, and I've left him. And he hasn't left me, he never leaves us. But we can just get a little bit distracted, start caring about the, the pigs and the chickens and realise that's not the main thing. And so this church was, was kind of in this position and uh, God noticed everything that they did, but he also noticed what they were lacking. And he cared, to, cared enough to tell them this. Now, don't turn there, but in Matthew 23, 23, uh, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees and he says, you're hypocrites because you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. The word in Revelation 2 where it says I've left thy first love is the same word that he said to these scribes and Pharisees, you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. So really you've laid aside the commandment of God, you've laid aside everything that God stands for and you've left that. You kind of just walked away from it and you're focusing on this tiny little thing here that you think is so good. You think that work of tithing on those little things is so good, but you've left off the main things. And that's, that's bad if that's said about us as Christians, but God's generous and loving and merciful to, to show us the error of our thinking in our ways sometimes. So praise the Lord for that. First uh, Corinthians 13.1 Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, 
I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. When we just get into the mode of I'm doing good and thinking that all this stuff is just good but not the best and there's no love there, we can just be annoying. It's a little bit like the Church of Ephesus. You're doing, I can see all this stuff and it is good but because you've left your first love, it's, what is it? And we can be a little bit like that as Christians. So, the thing to ask or question yourself about, and these are some questions of, I believe the Lord's just turned back on me and said, hey, just, just assess yourself a little bit in these things. First of all, what's my motivation for doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I even looking in this word? Why am I going to church? Why am I talking to that person about how to pray? Whatever it is, I don't know. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you want to say, I've achieved all these things and done all these good things? Or do you want to please the Father? That's a question I ask. What's my motivation? Uh, do I find myself justifying my thoughts and actions? If, if you find yourself being, like I said, your own lawyer and just justifying everything that you're doing, a reason not to do this best thing that maybe the Lord's shown you, then there's probably something that needs to change there. There's probably some... You probably need to be humbled a little bit and, and submit yourself a little bit to what God's saying. Um, does this thing or these good things that I'm doing, do they hinder or contradict something else God has me doing or expects of me? If God wants me to look after my family and then all of a sudden I'm spending all my time in this area of ministry or this thing and thinking this is really good but I've neglected what God's already told me to do, that's not a good thing. He might want me to add this to it or, I don't know, possibilities are endless really, but we shouldn't be leaving something that God has specifically set us to, for, for us to do to go into something else and leave that destitute. So we've got to make sure that uh, we're doing things led of the Lord. And ultimately, will this please the Father despite how it makes me feel? Because we're not always going to like naturally like what God puts on our heart. I don't know about you, but not everything God puts on my heart, I'm like, yes. Something I'm like, oh, really? And I've got to check myself on that. But I'm just saying that if our ultimate goal is to please him, then it's easier, easier for us to do that thing even though it doesn't please us. It's like eating your veggies. <laughs> it's a good thing to do. It doesn't mean you like it. But is it going to please the Father? And I'm sure each of the people in the examples that we looked at I'm sure they all were feeling good about what they were doing before they were shown the best thing. But the key is, what do you do when you are shown the best thing? How do you react to that? How do you respond to that? Psalm 26, verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. That's a good prayer. Show me, Lord. Just have a look. Just show me what's there or show me what's not there. And uh, this is what I've been praying, Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, even though you might be convincing yourself you're doing good, and it may be biblically good, but like I've been saying, if it's not the best thing, then we just need to ask God to search us out. It may not necessarily be wicked. It may just be something that's just a little bit redirected. Um, something that doesn't have the priority it should, whatever it is. But we need to ask God to show us those things because I don't know about you, but my heart can be desperately wicked. It can be deceitful. 
my, my feelings and emotions can, can lead me off down the track where it's not supposed to be. So this is what I've been praying and I believe is a good prayer. Just search me, Lord, and see how in the... You know, you're not there, but in the end of verse 24, it says, lead me in the way everlasting. Ask for the Holy Spirit's leading. Ask for a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Show me, Lord, what does please you. Help me to see in all this stuff that, yes, it's good stuff, it's biblical stuff, but what pleases you? And therefore, maybe some other things can just fall by the wayside a little bit or there'll be priorities later on, maybe not just right now. So lead me in the way everlasting. And Proverbs 16.3, this is one I always break. Um, It says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So... Give over to him. Lord, just help me to, whatever I'm doing, I just want to please you. Uh, Show me what I should be doing. And I know that you're going to establish my thoughts about all that later on. All the rest of that will come. But just help me to commit it all to you, to to roll it off onto you and say, "This, this is yours, Lord, and I want to please you with my works. And then you'll help me to understand how all of this actually does work. That's That's a good prayer to pray. He establishes our thoughts, and when that word establishes or established is really directed aright, fixed aright, and morally steadfast. That's good. If, if your thoughts are morally steadfast, if they're fixed from being broken a little bit, that means the Lord's doing a work there. But you've got to ask for that. You've got to ask him to purify your motives, purify your attitudes, purify your heart. And really that's where it all comes down to is asking God to just purify. Help me, Lord, to purify that I'm pleasing you in what I do. Purify in my thoughts. Purify in my words, in my ministry, whatever it is. Uh, In my prayer life. It translates into your prayer life. Praying what's best, not just praying some things that are good. Lord, what is your will in this? Show me your will. Not just rattling off some prayer requests that sound good, and they probably are, but what's best? What does that person need right now? What do I need right now? So this is very individual because what you deem to be good may be somebody else's best. So we can't compare, oh, they're doing that. God's allowing them to do that. But God may be telling you something different. God may be leading you in a different way, in a different line. Okay, so we can't compare ourselves. We've just got to submit ourselves to him and ask him what he wants. So I hope that's a help. It's definitely been a help to me, even just this past week, uh, praying this way and just identifying these things. And I, I pray that it's a help as we come to those forks in the road, I guess, of what's good, what's best, how do I, how do I handle this a little bit. So why don't we just pray and then I'll hand over to Pastor. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding us and uh, for really loving us, Lord God, and showing us uh, sometimes the error of our ways, our thinking, our actions, and I thank you that you're merciful, you're long-suffering, and I just pray you'd help us as a church to please you in what we do and uh, to have that as our our priority and our focus, Lord, and help us to respond to you with a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your care for us, Lord, and we ask and pray that you'd guide us and direct us this week, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.